Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. We got to work it out for us today. And so as I was saying, Thor, right? The whole idea of his hammer is to give an indicator of worthiness, right? He's, he's been given this hammer by his, his father to wield divine power to do good in the universe. It's something I think that captures all of our hearts, captures my heart. Who doesn't want to do incredibly good and godly things in the world to bring good about in the universe? I do. I don't know about you. But here's the challenge with this hammer, and I think why it's such a strong illustration for me is it gives this clear indicator of, hey, are you worthy or not to do the good that you're called to do? You know, can can you lift this hammer? And and I think the, the, the fact is what this hammer illustrates is what's true, a question that a lot of us are asking in our hearts at some point in our lives, or if you're like me, a lot during your life. And the question is, do I have what it takes? Am I worthy? See, I think if you're like me, there's, you're probably looking at this hammer and some of you are saying, you know what, when it comes to divine good in the world, sacrificing for the good of other people, sharing my faith with someone who, at work, right? Or, or forgiving somebody who's really hurt me. The divine good that God puts in front of us and says, hey, I want you to do this. You can do this. A lot of times I'll walk up to those scenarios and I can't always explain why, but I just stop. Either I go to lift the hammer in my mind and it just feels like it's not moving, or if you're more like me, I, don't, I just back away. I don't, I don't think I can hack it. There's something in me that says I can't wield that hammer. I think it's a question we're all asking at least some of the time. And I wanna take that question and just press it on, on us together this morning. What is the good that God has called you to do that you've backed away from? in your life. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's a series of small things, but what is that? What's that moment for you where you see the divine good the Father's called you to wield? He's saying, hey, lift the hammer, and you just don't. I want to press into that question a little more. See, if you're like me, you might be somebody who, when you're in that moment, the, word, the image in your mind, the words in your mind are, I'm not pure enough to do the good that God has called me to do. I'm too sinful. See, when I was 10 years old was the first time I was exposed to inappropriate material I shouldn't look at. And I, you know what? I grabbed it hook, line, and sinker, and, and I cultivated what became a full addiction that lasted for decades into my life and even into my marriage. And so throughout that time, it's not that I never did any good, but I was carrying a lot of shame, pouring a lot of energy into shame, into hiding, into, into, into myself. And so when it came to do these, came to the time to do some incredible things for God that I saw other people doing, I looked at that hammer and I said, I'm not pure enough. Or maybe you can relate more to my wife. And if I could, I'd bring her right up here. Gwen, if she was up here, she would look at you and say, yeah, for me, the message is I'm not successful enough. When faced with the good that I could, I'm trying to do all of this good. I'm trying to do all of these different things and there's too much to do. The game feels rigged. 
See, she would tell you a story about when she was in high school trying to be valedictorian, trying to, which means having the best grades in the whole school so that when you graduate, you stand up and you give a speech because you're the best of the best, right? And she would tell you, even today, decades later, with actual emotion, like decades-old emotion, she'd look at you and she'd say, yeah, I still, it bothers me to no end that I missed it by tenths of a point. And she took that angst and she took it. I met her in in college and so she took that angst into college and she's like, I'm gonna do it this time. And she gets almost through her entire degree to one of her last classes and a professor gives her, wait for it, a B. How many of you are like, I'll take a B, (laughs) right? Yeah, for her though, it was this like, oh, there it is again. I'm not successful enough. And see, if you're like that, uh, uh, maybe you're the sort of person like Gwen would admit, she's trying to lift the hammer. She, I should be good enough for this. Why isn't it moving? It must be rigged. There must be something wrong with the standard. It can't possibly be me. Anyone relate? But what you don't see is what's going on inside is it's not an exclamation mark inside of you saying, I'm worthy. There's actually a question mark inside of you that you're trying to prove wrong. Because for you, the standard of good, the standard of worthy is I've got to be successful enough. Anyone relate? Or maybe for you, it's neither of those. And you would say, for me, the words are, I'm not mature enough. I'm not big enough. Any kids in the room? Any youngest kids in the room? See, that's a big part of my story. I was the youngest of four, and there's a big gap between me and the next one. And so I'm always living, comparing myself growing up to people older and further along than me. It's not a fair comparison. I didn't know that. And so I have, do you ever watch uh, the movie uh, Inside Out, right? You know how she has those big moments. There's the memory, 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 those ball rolls out. But then there's the core memory, right? And the core memory goes gray. See, I had, I had a lot of those moments growing up just like you did. And one of mine, and it's so random, was when I was sitting at the dining room table on a Sunday morning as everybody's rushing around getting ready for church. And I'm, I'm like five or six, however old you're supposed to be to know how to tie your shoes. And I was a little slow on that, Okay. Confession time. I was slow on tying my shoes, slow on telling my time on a watch with the dial. I still struggle sometimes, if I'm honest, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there, hey, can you help me tie my shoes? Hey, can you help me tie my shoes? Hey, can you help me tie my shoes? And I'm so glad I don't remember which of my siblings said it because it doesn't matter. It's not their fault or any of that stuff. But they looked at me, they turned and they scowled and they said, when are you just gonna grow up and tie your own shoes? And the ball rolls out. And for me, I'll tell you, even today, my wife will tell you, I'm still that kid so often in my own heart and mind. I'm just not mature enough. I'm not big enough. I can't hack it. Skinny kid on the football team, all that stuff. We could go on for hours with stories. Can you relate? So God says, do the good that you could, and you're just like, every time I do, I just prove I'm not mature enough, so I don't even want to. Or maybe you, for you, the message is I'm not capable enough. I'm too broken. You know, I remember as a kid, math class, right? I'm a lit guy, not a math guy. If you couldn't tell, you'll tell eventually, right? Um, I remember taking timed math quizzes. Anybody? Mm-hmm, right? I was cool with addition, subtraction came in squarely in the middle, turning in my paper. But then we got to multiplication, and it was like, oh, no. Not only am I not not only am I the only kid who's not done, uh, I didn't even, like, at the end, I couldn't turn in my paper. I was, like, halfway through the sheet. I couldn't keep up with the entire class. 30 kids, day after day after day. And Lord, help me when I got to division. It was a game over. 
And so for me, I'm not capable. Something's wrong with my brain that apparently isn't wrong with everybody else. Do I have any friends who struggle with, say, ADD or who struggle with dyslexia or maybe a physical disability? These external things that you look at and people around you look at and, and they don't say it, but you feel not capable enough. Maybe internally you've got messages. Maybe you're suffering with de clinical depression or just messages inside of you that says, I'm less than, I'm, I'm less capable than most. And so you see the good that you could, and you'd say, it's going to be harder for me than anybody else. And so you struggle to do the good that you could. You, that question of worthiness comes up. Can you relate? So what's the good that you could do? You look in the mirror, and you look at yourself. Do you see someone who is worthy to do the good that God has called us to do? What's the good that you could do that you're just not engaging? Why? I want to take that question into Luke chapter 19, a story that if you grew up in the church will be familiar to you, and that's actually going to be a problem for you because what you've heard can be a distraction from what it's really saying. So I want you to Come with me to Luke chapter 19 and try to come at it with fresh eyes, the story of Zacchaeus. So if you go to Luke 19, what you'll find is that Jesus, through the entire book of Luke, has been walking the earth, showing us what God is like, showing us how God looks, how he feels, how he emotes, how he treats people, how he loves, how he invites. He's showing us all this stuff for for 18 whole chapters of Luke, and now we're getting down to the end. And what's happening is that Jesus is walking. He's only 25 miles from Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be arrested and crucified. So Jesus, God himself, the worthy one, the one who can lift the hammer, is walking to his death, and he stops to have a moment with a person named Zacchaeus in a town called Jericho. So he shows up in Jericho in chapter 19, verse 1. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, verse 2, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So scripture doesn't waste words. It wants us to see and understand these very specific things about a very real person. Thor, fake. Zacchaeus, not fake. Real guy. And, and, and so these, the scripture describes him. It could have said a lot of things about him, but it gives us these four key ideas about Zacchaeus so that we can understand his situation and carry that into the rest of the story. And so the first thing the scripture shows us is that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And for those of you who might not have grown up around church and this story, let me just tell you, a tax collector in his day and age is a big, bad deal. Kind of a big deal now too, but let's not talk about it, right? But not in the same way, right? See, there to be a tax collector, you have betrayed everyone you love. So Zacchaeus would be comparable, say, in our minds to, in World War II, an American soldier on the front lines against Germany, in order to get rich, gives away his entire company of fellow soldiers to the Nazis and they capture him. That kind of betrayal, 
That's Zacchaeus as a tax collector. That's the first thing we understand about him. The second thing it says is that he's rich. That's how he got rich. So it tells you that there's something to Zacchaeus. It's more important to be secure, to have the monies, to have all this stuff than it is to have the relationships he had to destroy in order to get it. This is not a good dude. This is not a cute story. This is the guy, everyone in the room, he walks in and everyone looks and says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Everyone around him has pain associated with that guy and what he's done because he has sinned against everyone and the God they all worship. So he's a tax collector, he's rich, and then it goes on and says that he's small in stature. That's interesting. Like nowhere else in the Bible do you see a small guy pointed out as small. We see Goliath, he's big. Zacchaeus is the only one we find in the Bible who's described as a full-grown man who's small. And so not only is he uh, uh, desperately isolated and alone and rejected because of what he's done, what he is, right? Any youngests in the room, any skinny kid who wished they could play football but couldn't quite cut it. You play catch-up. Your life is defined by the smallness compared to other people. People don't necessarily have words for it. They try to be nice, but they relate to you differently because of your smallness. That's Zacchaeus. That's who we're talking about. And then it says that because of his smallness, he couldn't see what he wanted to see. He was, I think because of all of it, really. He's small. He can't see above the crowd. And you better believe the crowd's not helping him out. And so he's he's isolated and he's restricted and he can't see. That's the guy that we're talking about in this story. And so Zacchaeus, all of that wrapped up into into Zacchaeus. You could say he was the OG scrawny man, right? Uh, You're welcome, Derek, right? He 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 was scrawny in every respect, socially and culturally. And so it's that's the guy that we see in verse five, when it says that when, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse four, when it says, so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for he was about to pass through that way. This guy's a businessman. I used to work down in Dallas before I worked here, uh, the top of the Advancial Building, 17th floor, right off the Woodall Rogers Freeway. And I remember a couple times the presidential motorcade went through on the Woodall Rogers. And then we were all like at the window looking, oh, cool, president, right? Everybody wants to see that. I don't remember once seeing a grown man, businessman in his suit, like running to see the president. You're welcome for that. I'm here all day. I don't, I, have you ever seen a grown man in a suit like running to go see something? Me either. Adults are boring, right? But I'll tell you what I absolutely didn't see was that guy, a guy in a suit, wingtips, the whole nine yards, climbing a tree, right? Adults don't do that. I agree, kids, they should. It would make us way more relaxed, fun, and interesting if we ran and climbed trees. Maybe we would chill out a little bit if we got into that habit. But I've never seen that. And so for Zacchaeus, it's easy to miss this, guys, in the story, because we got the songs we sing about it, that it is actually really strange that this guy ran and climbed a tree. I'm pretty sure no one else is doing that here. I'm pretty sure no one else is climbing a tree to see Jesus. So so that's the scene when Jesus marches through town. And remember, this is the end of Jesus' life and he's gathering crowds on crowds on crowds. And so that's the situation. This 
socially rejected, unworthy, unacceptable, broken, sinful person is up in a tree because that's the only way he can see Jesus around the crowd of more worthy people. And Jesus is walking through. How, how many hundreds of eyes are on Jesus? And then Jesus looks up. So where do you think all those hundreds of eyes go? Whoop. So you're Zacchaeus. And now there's hundreds of eyes and the eyes of God himself looking up in a tree, very undignified scenario, looking at you. Don't think you, think that Zacchaeus, knowing what you know, what do you think's about to happen? Let me thicken, let me thicken it up a little bit for you because look at Jesus' first word, the first word out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus came to the place, verse five, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. So in case there was any doubt who the weirdo is up in the tree, now we know. So now you're Zacchaeus, and the words I would put to you are he's totally exposed. Totally exposed. There's no hiding who he is, and because of that, there's no hiding what he is, what he thinks he is, what everybody else thinks he is. And he's standing before God and man and his own heart and mind and what he believes himself totally exposed. What do you, th if you're Zacchaeus, what do you expect Jesus to say next? Because you don't know him. My read on it is Zacchaeus is expecting, hey, loser, what on earth are you doing up in a tree, you weirdo? You're not worthy to be here. You have you have betrayed all of us. Leave, maybe. Or, <laughs> what, what, what kind of weirdo gets up in a tree, right? Can you feel that? Maybe you felt that at school once, whether you deserved it or not in your own mind. I feel that, which is why this is where the power of this story is. That that's what should have happened by most of our accounts. But it doesn't. Something exactly opposite happens. And Jesus invites himself over for lunch. Look at what it says. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus, I want to be with you. You want to know my definition of grace? Totally exposed, totally accepted. There's no hiding that he's the least worthy by all accounts. And that's precisely who Jesus singles out and accepts totally accepted. That's the power. That's the moment. That's the story in a nutshell. And it's summarized in verse 10 when it says, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, listen, the book of Luke is 
beautiful. Derek showed us so much last week about the beauty of God's word and how, how, how it's form fit for you and for me to dig into our hearts and expose where we're at and teach us the truth about God and ourselves and the world. And so the way Luke is wired, the way the book is wired is the whole book, commentators will tell you, the whole book is funneling to that verse, 1910, the son of God came to seek and to save the lost, you and me and Zacchaeus. That's what the whole book is driving toward. All the characters and words and ink driving towards that statement. That's what this story is driving toward, that moment. And guess what? It's not just about Zacchaeus, a little guy. Let me show you, because if you back up in the book of Luke to chapter 18, something really interesting happens. In 18 verses 9 to 14, you see another tax collector and his uh, there's a rich there's, there's a Pharisee next to him saying Lord thank you I'm not an idiot like him right and 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 the tax collector says I'm not worthy and Jesus says about the tax collector in this parable he's the one who walks away justified because he knows he's 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 too sinful so that tax collector says I'm not pure enough and God says I know and I love you and then if you fast forward to Luke 18, verses 18 to 27, you see the rich young rulers swagger up to Jesus and they have an interaction. And the core of that interaction is this guy thinking, I'm not successful enough. I, I keep trying to lift the hammer and it doesn't move. What am I missing? And Jesus has this interaction with him that reveals that, look, man, let go of the need to grab the hammer. It's not even about the hammer. It's about me loving you. You gotta get that before this thing will budge. Right, And then he goes on in, in chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. And there's this little story that's cute and all, but it doesn't have power unless you understand it in its context. It's a story where as Jesus is moving towards Jericho, these parents are saying, please bless my child. And of all people, it's the disciples who are saying, well, no, not worthy, too immature, too tiny, too small. They aren't worth Jesus' time. And Jesus is like, guys, they're precisely who get it, the ones who get it. Because they understand they've got nothing to bring. It's not about the hammer. All they've got are dirty diapers and crying and needs. And that's why I love them because they know that worthiness and acceptance is a gift not to be earned. So unless you receive the kingdom like one of these, you just don't get it. And then if you go to Luke chapter 18, 35 to 43, you see blind Bartimaeus, this dude who is incapable like other people are capable. I'm not capable enough. And he gets it. And the crowd says, hey, go crawl back in your hole. Get out of the way. And he's like, I have a need. And he cries out to Jesus. And he's the one Jesus looks through the crowd and finds and says, what do you need, man? What do you need? He's not bringing his worthiness. He's bringing his need. And he's accepted and these stories aren't an accident. They really happened. But in God's divine sovereignty, they add up to a rich little tax collector who can't see. Zacchaeus is all of them. They are all in Zacchaeus. We are in Zacchaeus's story. If you can relate to any of those scenarios, any of those core stories, those core memories that are telling you, hey, you're not worthy because I'm not capable enough. I'm not whatever enough. This answer isn't get capable. The answer isn't get pure. The answer isn't any of those things. The answer is welcome. You are accepted in Christ as you are. 
If any of us have a problem in the room, it's that we're not humble enough to just receive. So Zacchaeus was up in a tree when he had his moment, totally exposed. He came to see Jesus. Question, why are you here? What brought you into the room or the tree or whatever you want to call it to see Jesus? So here you are in the room. And here Jesus is in his word looking at you and saying your name. Andy Bailey, Lenore Martin-Gow, Hope Wilhite. Where'd you go? There you are. On the count of three, I want to hear you all say your names. One, two, three. He says your name and he invites himself in. Up in your tree, you've done nothing. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, Zacchaeus shows us exactly what to do with that. He receives it. He receives it. And in receiving it, something radically different happens, something divine, something he's never done before, a total turn. The turn didn't earn him anything. It just proved that he got it. Look at what it says in verse Eight, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. I'm not good at math. I told you that. But that doesn't add up. Right? All the stuff I got from robbing everyone, I'm going to give half of it away at the beginning. Then the other half, I'm going to give four times as much as I took. Cool? That hurts my head. It doesn't add up. It doesn't work. It's exactly what the rich young ruler in chapter 18 was challenged to do and just couldn't. So Zacchaeus, for that I'm not successful enough person, he gives up the success, the measures he's been clinging to to prove something to himself, the crowd and God. And he says, I'm gonna enter into a state of dependence. Just like a child, he's blessed giving nothing. Even though he's small, he leans in and he does some incredible good. And so he receives the acceptance of God and he lifts the hammer and he does the good that he could right then and there. This is actually kind of heavy. He does the good that he could. And so that's what I'm asking you. What's the message? What's the image in your mind? What's the story you're telling yourself that is stopping you from receiving the free gift of God's acceptance, and then going and doing the good that you could. Because listen, worthy people can walk worthy. Forgiven people forgive people. Blessed people, blessed people. You see it? Because we're worthy in Christ as a free gift. First John 4.19 says we love Why? Because he first loved us. That's where our love comes from. We don't love in order to be loved. Public, so so here's what I want to push you on. Here's what we do with that today. I'm not telling you, hey, lift your hammer, work harder. That's not what the scripture is telling you. That's not what Zacchaeus' story is telling you. It's saying, hey, settle down for a second. And instead of work harder, dwell deeper. Focus on the gospel. So often, it's so easy, whether you know Jesus or not, to flip that cart before the heart horse and think it's about doing the good that you could. 
when it's really first and foremost and always about receiving the truth that in Christ I am worthy. Why can we say that? Because Christ, like we said, was marching to the cross. The worthy one who was worthy puts his worthiness on the altar in the place of our unworthiness, is crucified and killed and takes all of the wrath for our sin so that when, we, when he rises again, he can hand us his worthiness, put it on us. And that's what allows us to lift the hammer. The hammer's not a measure of what you can and can't do. It's a response to what he's already done for you. So listen, if the message in your mind is I'm not pure enough, go back to Luke 18, 9 to 14. Go back and look at that tax collector and look at what Jesus says and understand that you're the one he came to save. You are. If you don't feel like you're successful enough, go back to Luke 18 and the rich young ruler and stew on that. And that's your assignment for the week. Sit in it and sit in Zacchaeus and internalize what it means that you can stop striving and know that he is God. If you don't feel like you're mature enough, not big enough, I'm too much of a kid, I just don't have it in me. Go back to Luke 18, 15 to 17 and see how Jesus feels about infants. <laughs> All they can do is mess their pants. And he wants them. He wants them. If you feel like you're not capable enough, there's too much in the way for me to be awesome, go to Bartimaeus and cry out to Jesus with your need and see what he'll do with your depression. See what he'll do with your disability that you have in your mind or in your body. See what he'll do with you. There. I could name name after name after name of people who everyone said was disabled and God used. I would wager that if you would spend some time dwelling deeper, tilling the gospel into your heart this week, you might surprise yourself how much more often you can actually lift the hammer and do the good that you could. And be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, not to earn anything, but because in him you are totally exposed, totally accepted. That is the treasure of acceptance. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, Check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.